unforgiveness is unforgivable. There is an expectation that Jesus has of his disciples to be a forgiving people, learning how to do it and learning how to cope with the various feelings and so forth that we have is critically important if what we want to do is to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. Welcome to Grace in 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick, and I'm working in the booth alone tonight. Tonight we're going to talk about forgiveness, and more specifically, self-forgiveness. We're joined by Reverend Dr. Michael Barry, the former Director of Pastoral Care at the Cancer Treatment Centers of America in Philadelphia, and the author of four books, including The Forgiveness Project. Michael joins us to talk about what he's learned about forgiveness working at CTCA and in other work that he's done, and the relationships between self-forgiveness and narcissism. We're also going to talk about a book he's currently co-authoring entitled Forgiveness of Self. Michael, welcome to Grace and 30. It's great to be with you, Ed. Thanks for having me. We've been hearing, I've been hearing and reading a lot about uh, the benefits, more and more about the benefits of forgiveness, uh, in particular uh, the physical and mental health benefits of forgiveness. Can you spend a few minutes and give us sort of a quick tutorial on forgiveness and its benefits? Sure. Well, there are consequences to unforgiveness, which we define as being the retention of the negative emotions of anger and hatred, whether it's toward someone else or toward yourself. So whenever we internalize these feelings, it begins a cascade of a, for some very predictable things. For example, the number one side effect of unforgiveness is substance abuse. In other words, we're in pain, and so we're going to find some way to medicate ourselves, whether it's alcohol or whatever else the other drug uh, perhaps might be. It impacts our sexual health. Uh, Unforgiveness also has a high correlation to family breakdown. When our families are unforgiving, quite often they're not functioning very well. Um, Highly correlated to depression, self-conscious, and and suicide ideation are very predictable uh, consequences to unforgiveness. So all that is to say is that uh, forgiveness is a very important topic for a lot of people for lots of different reasons. Yeah, I think your co-author, I, I watched a couple videos uh, of him speaking online, and he called it uh, unforgiveness. He said it was a cocktail of corrosive emotions. He, he, he named blame, anger, hatred, vengeance, rumination. I mean, it's, it sounds like a, something that none of us should really want to dwell in. Well, the primary emotion that we've basically been able to isolate it is hatred. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want your audience to think that anger is a negative thing because anger can be a very positive thing. When we feel angry, it motivates us to want to seek justice and so forth. But hatred, certainly in the Bible, is always a negative thing. In Galatians 5.20, there's a catalog of sins that keep you from entering the kingdom of heaven. Hatred is one of them. Jesus said you can't say you love God and hate your brother or sister. So really what we're trying to focus on is helping people to alleviate the hatred that they have toward other people or toward themselves. So how do you do that? I think you've noted two critical things. One is sort of taking a hard look at what you would call the perpetrator, and then the other is taking a hard look at yourself. Well, let me tell you a story real quickly. Um, The other day I was in church, and just so happened this Sunday, they uh, had a woman who stood up and uh, had a testimony that she wanted to share or a story that she wanted to relate to the congregation. And her first sentence was this, 40 hours later, 
he was dead. She went on to talk about how she was in her car and her husband had left his cell phone in the car and there was a text message that was sent to him. And she read the text message and it turns out it was from his lover. And when she confronted him about that uh, transgression, uh, 40 hours after that, he drove his car into a lake and killed himself. So clearly what we have in this particular situation was a failure to forgive himself. Um, and again, to just try and reiterate the extraordinary consequences when people begin to harbor these emotions and do not know how to be able to find the forgiveness they desperately long for is a real problem. Uh, mental health, uh, our interpersonal relationships, and then not to mention the theological consequences uh, of being unforgiving. In Matthew 6:14, Jesus says, forgive and you will be forgiven. But if you do not forgive, you will not be forgiven. And I have said this in many different venues, and I have anyone to, to push back on it. Jesus, it seems to me, in Matthew 6:14, is saying unforgiveness is unforgivable. There is an expectation that Jesus has of his disciples to be a forgiving people, learning how to do it, and learning how to, to uh, cope with the various feelings and so forth that we have is critically important if what we want to do is to be a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ. You spent quite a bit of time working with, with cancer patients, in particular when you were at uh, CTCA. Uh, tell us some of the insights you got on forgiveness and self-forgiveness with, with cancer patients, because I know when we spoke on the phone, you mentioned one particular thing was self-loathing that, that some people have who are, who are battling cancer. What, what sort of things did you come across with cancer patients, and, and what advice can you give people? When I first began to work with cancer patients, um, and it just seemed as though almost every conversation I had with them ended up having a story that you and I might describe as being forgiveness-related. You know, cancer patients, quite often, curve with God, with themselves, or with other people. And so forgiveness is something that cancer patients seem to be a little bit more motivated to try and do than other people. So we did a survey. What we learned was that 65% of our patients self-assessed themselves anonymously with forgiveness issues. Half of those, 30%, with significant or severe forgiveness issues. So cancer, the cancer patient population that I was dealing with had significant forgiveness issues, but we also did a parallel study with our stakeholders at the hospital, and the same exact statistics held true. You know, two-thirds of them had forgiveness issues, and a third of them had very significant forgiveness issues. So when we began to talk about cancer patients and forgiveness, it's not as though cancer patients are more plagued by forgiveness issues, you know, more than anyone else. No, they're not. It's just that I think that at that time in their life, again, they seem to be a little bit more motivated to really want to deal with their stuff uh, because, you know, it may very well be there at the tail end of the curve of their life and, and trying to deal with it. So I don't want to make it sound like cancer patients have more forgiveness issues than other people. They don't. Uh, but again, the motivation is there. Oh, I'm surprised at the statistics. I mean, they're pretty, pretty similar. Well, they are, and I think it just it points to the human condition. I mean, each one of us, no doubt, most everyone in your audience, has times in their life where they have difficult situations with other people. 
Uh, and if it's not with somebody else, it's because of a mistake that they've made, and they have a lot of self-loathing and self-condemnation for the for their error, their wrongdoing, their sin. And so, again, I just think it's part of the human condition. The question is, and the challenge is, how can you help people find the forgiveness that they're so longing for? You have to find a seminary, medical school, or university that trains its pastors, MDs, or psychotherapists how to help people find forgiveness. And so in light of that reality and because of the, the need that I had to help my patients, I had to do a deep dive and learn as much as I could about helping people actually find the forgiveness that they need. So and not something self-focused, I mean, what you're saying is basically all the literature and the research is on how to forgive others when, in fact, people also need to turn it towards themselves, and there's very little work being done in that area? Well, yes, cancer patients, uh, perhaps more than others, uh, seem to blame themselves for their disease. You know, it could be that they have breast cancer, and so they're mad at themselves because they didn't get a breast exam, or they have colon cancer, and they didn't get their, you know, five-year colonoscopy. So cancer patients, I think, maybe perhaps more than others, are really down on themselves because they feel as though they could have done a better job and should have done a better job in taking care of their health. So let's talk about, you made a distinction when we spoke on the phone between self-forgiveness and forgiveness of self. And I didn't quite, when I first started thinking about it, didn't understand until I read a little bit. Explain the difference between the two. Well, first of all, self-forgiveness is, is a very under-researched topic, and it actually has, it's, it's just a very confusing topic. Uh, I had dinner the other night with uh, eight other folks, all of whom were mature Christians. One of them was a Bible at a local uh, seminary. And I asked them, I said, is self-forgiveness a biblical concept? And they all said, yes, of course it's a biblical concept. If they had any idea where in the Bible that people are encouraged to forgive themselves for whatever wrong doing they did, they came out blank. So self-forgiveness is a very uh, complex topic. In other words, if somebody makes a mistake, they have basically two options. They can either look into the mirror, in other words, to themselves to, f- to find forgiveness, or they can look uh, toward the cross. As a Christian would look toward, uh, to God to find the comfort that they need. So, uh, once again, it's, it's a complex topic. There's not uh, a lot of articulation of what these terms mean. So, when someone says self-forgiveness, typically what they mean is, that they're going to have to work out the the their concerns and and and, and worries and condemnation and self-loathing on their own. There isn't going to be another resource for them. And of course, as Christians, we would very much like to direct them toward uh, the Bible and to see what kind of resources might be there for that. So, when I say for self-forgiveness, I don't want your audience to think that what I'm encouraging people to do is literally forgive themselves. What I am encouraging them to do is to realize that because there are little other resources available to them, that they're going to have to help themselves find the forgiveness that they need. And so that's the distinction that I'm trying to make between self-forgiveness and then forgiveness itself. I'm sure people are very confused about it. It's a very confusing topic. 
But that's the distinction, distinction I'm trying to make. I'm not encouraging people to think they can look in the mirror to find the peace that they need. Yeah, you sort of mentioned in, in the, you sent me the introduction to the book, you're working on a draft of that, and you mentioned that self-forgiveness is basically letting ourselves off the hook, and that in a society that's increasingly narcissistic, I know, I know your co-author you're working with uh, teaches at a university, and I think the biggest change in the students he's seen is, is the increase in narcissism, correct? Yeah, in his last 10 or 15 years of teaching college, he said that one of the most notable differences in the student body is that they're so much more highly narcissistic than they used to be. It's all about me, 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 I, I, I. They become much less social, much less focused upon themselves. And what the research has made very clear is that people who can forgive themselves the most easily tend to be the most highly narcissistic because they make it all about them. Let's say, for example, if I say something that hurts your feelings and I choose to, to just to forgive myself and walk away, I might very well be leaving you with, you know, hurt feelings or, you know, whatever the situation might be. So the challenge in trying to help people learn how to forgive themselves is to not at the same time being increasing their levels of narcissism. Uh, Christianity needs to be about a concern for self, but then also have a great amount of compassion for people who might have been caught up in the ripple effects of whatever their behavior might be. So, so once again, it, it's, it's, it's nuanced. It's not unimportant. I mean, Ed, every time I have a conversation about forgiveness with people, it virtually always reverts back to a conversation about self-forgiveness. It is much harder to forgive ourselves than it is to, uh, to forgive other people. So, again, it's an important process, and some of these nuances, are, I think, are important to try and clarify. So let's cut over into the topic of forgiveness of self. Tell us what that is. Give us a snapshot of the process involved in, in doing that, the proper form of, I hate to use the word self-forgiveness, because you use the term forgiveness of self. So let me uh, approach it answering that another, in another way. Why are we even talking about self-forgiveness, if you think about it? Why are we even talking about that? Uh, I, I would say that as a Christian, uh, much of what we're talking about historically has been taken care of through the ministries of the Church. Um, for example, part of what it takes to forgive yourself is to confess. You know, you've, you've done something wrong, you need to actually own the wrongdoing and confess it. Well, you might be interested to know that less than 2% of Roman Catholics even go to confession anymore. Uh, in a Protestant liturgy, historically, there's usually been a confession of sin somewhere in the worship service, uh, followed by an assurance of pardon. Uh, so that's more of a, um, an evangelical Protestant way of trying to cope with it. But we've gotten to the point in our worship service, at least in Protestantism, that we've pushed back away from uh Liturgy, we become very non-liturgical. So when we go to our churches these days, we have you know twenty minutes of of preaching, and then we all leave hopefully happy. Lost, I think, is the liturgical part in our worship service where we take a moment to reflect upon our wrongdoing, the things that we have done that we that we regret, and to be reminded during the worship service, that nevertheless, regardless of whatever it is that we've done, nevertheless, Christ died for us. So even though, uh, uh, I mean, as you can see, church people, whether they're Protestant or whether they're Catholic, no longer have 
the in their worship service that might have helped them uh, alleviate some of the uh, problems that they have. So I think it's important to try and put some sort of broad framework around this is that typically what people would have gotten through their worship services or through their churches, whether it's through confessing to a priest or whatever it might be or their pastor, um, it, it just isn't there. So the reason we're even talking about self-forgiveness as a topic is because there's a void in our culture. You know, we've become much, much more uh, non-liturgical, and, and all that does at the end of the day, it seems to me, is we've thrown out a very important part of what worship uh, historically has attempted to, to accomplish. Do you I think mean, this is a, a Western phenomenon, or is this just also, you know, the, the scriptures are very clear. They say that the human heart is the most deceitful of all things, and it's really hard for people to to look at themselves and, and to see their faults when we criticize others. They really recoil, and when we hear it from them, we recoil. Is it is it just a general problem in human nature, or is it also, also a problem of Western civilization? I think it's a function of biblical illiteracy. Um, and I don't know whether, you know, the Western culture is less literate than other parts of the world. I don't know that. I know, for example, God the, the, the phrase, God helps those who help themselves. Most people would say it's in the Bible. Yep. Uh, in fact, 85% of people would say that it is a, a Bible teaching, and as it turns out, those are people you would consider to be just kind of generic Christians would say that, but evangelical Christians are only better by one point. Eighty-four percent of evangelical Christians believe that God helps those who help themselves. And so I think that uh, when in talking about forgiveness in general, whether it's interpersonal or self-forgiveness, I think so much of it has lost, it's just been lost because we've become disconnected. I, I agree, and I, I would go further. I mean, you've, you've made a claim that... Um you can't really say for sure if biblical illiteracy is uh, is is on the rise. I think it's hugely on the rise. I, I don't know many people who really take make the time or the effort to get in the Word. It's always kind of the thing that gets squeezed out in the day, and uh, there's always an excuse for it. More important things to do. It is a huge, huge problem that, and I think also people want to hear messages of comfort. You know, I mean, the Scripture says that Christ uh, made His dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. And it's really hard to, to be full of truth and grace both and, and to be graceful but also not compromise on the truth because that offends people. And it's it's a difficult thing to do. And I think people sort of shy away from that. People are more grace and love oriented and, and just everyone can do what they want to do instead of talking about the truth as well. What are some of the other things besides, I mean, the real fundamental thing you talked about was this notion of confession. Are there other parts of this process? If you were to talk to a secular scholar on the topic of forgiveness, they would say that it is a process, I think most people would agree with that, and that process begins with a decision to forgive, which kind of intuitively makes sense. If you're going to forgive someone, you're going to make a decision to, to do that. But let me tell you a story. Years ago, you're, you're not too terribly far away from Lancaster County in Pennsylvania, when the, the horrible shooting took place with the Amish uh, young girl, five girls that, were, that was killed. Um, and years later, several years later, there was a conference at a Mennonite college in Lancaster County where they had, you know, all kinds of wonderful scholars come in and talk about forgiveness and how the Amish should be able to forgive. And um, there was a breakout session, and at that breakout session, there was a, an Amish father. Now, this father had lost 
two children, two of the five children were his children who were shot and killed. He was sitting in the corner during the breakout session when the leader was talking about the importance of making a decision to forgive. And the young Amish father said, I didn't make the decision to forgive. That decision was made 2,000 years ago. And if you think about it, he's absolutely right. Forgiving other people or forgiving ourselves is not an option. This is something that Jesus has taught us to do. It's something that he expects us to do. So it seems to me that when it comes to a failure to forgive, there's there's no light between um, our need to forgive and our willingness to forgive. It's something that we need to do. Now, the challenges, of course, are how do you do it? And there are some uh, things that can be done, but when it comes to self-forgiveness, beyond uh, confession uh, is accepting responsibility for what's been done and then making a commitment to repent. Uh, It isn't just saying, oh, gosh, I'm sorry, whatever. It's actually making a sincere attempt to live your life in a very different way. So that would be probably the, the, the second or third point in that process. Yeah, you mentioned a story, too, another one, a, sort of a, a positive story of forgiveness uh, with a couple. The, the wife discovered an issue that the husband had. Why don't you share that with us? And Sure. Again, in church several weeks ago, I had a, there was a young couple that got up, and they told a story about how they were having difficulty getting pregnant and, and so forth, and his, her husband finally had confessed her action to pornography. And you could only imagine how devastated she was to learn because they've been trying in vitro fertilization, all kinds of things to try and get pregnant. And, and um, so the, 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 that whole process appeared to be sabotaged by, through his addiction. Um, she was devastated by it. But he was able to accept the fact that he had an addiction he was willing to, to own it. He was willing to repent of that behavior. But then even beyond that, and another, probably the last part of our process that we encourage people to do is learn your lessons. If and when you make a mistake, that's all fine and well. We all make mistakes. But a lot of people pay the tuition for their wrongdoing, but they don't learn the lesson. Learn the lesson. What is it that God has taught you through this wrongdoing that you've done, and then be willing to take that wisdom that you have gained and to share it with other people. Uh, In Psalm 51, uh, after David has committed murder and adultery, in, in Psalm 51 he says, Show me so that I can teach transgressors your ways. So here's David, a man after God's own heart, having made horrible mistakes. It's not simply enough to know that God loves him. He wanted to take at the lessons that he learned and to share it with other people so that they didn't make the same mistake that he did. So the process, Ed, it begins with people in despair. They're sad. They've done something wrong. They feel horrible about it. But the process ends when they have learned their lessons and they share that with other people. I mean, what makes people feel better than helping others? So when we actually take the time to help other people, Uh, try and avoid the mistakes that we've made. We feel good about ourselves. We've gone from total despair to feeling joy, which is what I think God wants us to experience. So we have about a little under two minutes. Uh, We'd like to ask you, is there any way you'd like to 
issue a call to action, challenge our listeners in some way, and you can talk about more than one thing if you'd like, but how would you like to challenge people tonight? Well, I would like to challenge people to help them consider forgiveness as being the most important part uh, of their uh, spiritual discipline. Um, you know, I think forgiveness is the most important part of our Christian faith. It's the foundation of our faith. Yeah, why do I say that? It's because before Jesus was even born, jo- uh, an angel came to Joseph in a dream and said, "In his name shall be called Jesus, for he will save their people from their sins. How is he going to save uh, his people from their sins? My body broken, my blood shed for the forgiveness of their sins. In other words, God took flesh in Jesus Christ for the singular purpose to make sure that his love was made known through his sacrificial death on the cross. Forgiveness rises and falls on the foundation of forgiveness. If you take forgiveness out of Christianity yet, I'm not sure what you're left with. So if I was going to just challenge your audience to consider um, anything about anything I've spoken to, I just would consider them to kind of dial back in to considering forgiveness it's the amazing grace that we sing about, but it's also the lifestyle of grace that we should want to live. Michael, thank you for joining us. Uh, this is your uh, return appearance. You're one of the f- handful of people who's been on the uh, program twice, and we appreciate you coming back, and we thank you for the uh, the insight, hard-earned insight that you've gotten into forgiveness, especially working in a, a difficult, challenging atmosphere like cancer treatment centers. If listeners want to find out more about Michael's work on forgiveness, you know, feel free to check him out on Amazon.com. He has four books. Uh, one of them is called The Forgiveness Project. A replay of this show is going to be available at Grayson30.com and the WERA.FM website. And it's also going to be available at iTunes and Stitcher. This is Ed and Michael signing off from Grayson30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.